yeah. and also uh, the I, I this is really interesting to me because I love history, but the um, the water of the Thames was so polluted they had to put like um, stuff on the windows so people could breathe in Parliament. Um, um, so they that's when they actually took all the uh, rivers and put it underground. Okay. And uh, and clean and basically cleaned out the rivers because of doing that, so it wouldn't be so polluted. But the interesting thing is, is how many streets are named for the rivers? One of the streets is Fleet Street. Fleet is actually right. the River Fleet. And I was always wondering why the street where the press was was called Fleet Street. Fleet doesn't have anything to do with the press, but it, it didn't. It's because the river was right under the street. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I like to think of Sweeney Todd. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The uh, barber. From the barber, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. But isn't that interesting that all those rivers, that all those streets are named for some of uh, the rivers that are underneath them? There's one that's in we the West End that's named after a river, too. Um, right. It's just, that is interesting. The lifeblood, right? Yeah. The water. It's, it, and it's yeah. still there. I mean, the rivers are still there. It's just underground. Interesting. So they're not, you think, oh, all the rivers are dry. Nope, they're not. They're just. They're just not a vi visible. <laughs> yeah. But I thought that was really interesting when I learned that. Because like, I always wondered about, well, that was one of the one streets I was like, always my my eyebrows came together. Why do they call it Fleet Street? <laughs> now you know. You would think they'd call it Press Street or Reporter Street or <laughs> The Daily Mirror Street. I don't know, but Slate Street. <laughs> I just have this weird mind. Um, so yeah, the smog is now better here. So as you can attest from your trip, that you can come to uh, Southern California and not be choked. I've actually been to Utah, and I've been to Salt Lake City. And oh yeah, it's really it's really cool. Um, a little For the uh, Winter Olympics or uh, to ski or what? What brought you up here? Work. I was being trained. Okay. <laughs> Very good. I went for training. I was right across did, the. To ski or visit any of the uh, Red Rock National Parks while you were here? No, I was only there for no. ten days. It was for work. Uh, but I got to go to the mall that was across the street, the huge mall. And I also got to um, the um, the Mormon Temple. Oh, great! Yeah, you visited Temple Square. Yeah, it was right awesome. near where we were training. So. <laughs> oh, very good. What did What did you think of it? It was cool. It was very interesting. Yeah. I was I was like I was. It was interesting because you were only allowed to go into certain things, and so my curiosity was like peeking around the corner where I wasn't supposed to look. <laughs>
I'm just saying. Um, yeah, I just, I, I, I know I thought it was really cool. I enjoyed it myself. The, the thing that I thought was amusing was, um, I guess that maybe I shouldn't say this, but I know you're a dry state, but what was amusing was when we got to the hotel, they told us that, uh, they gave us cards for private clubs to get a drink. And I'm like, but I thought you don't drink here. That was the question that came right out of my mouth. I don't, I'm not really a censored person. And he goes, well, this sort of helps people that are coming here to visit go and drink and do the things that they like to do. And it was like, I mean, it was six different places that were private clubs. They were basically restaurants that had booze. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, and, and uh, I think there it's less than, it's, I'm pretty sure it's less than 50% are uh, members of the church here, so it's not as much as you might expect anymore, I, I believe, but, but I just still, thought, still a lot of uh, members of the Church of Jesus Christ, though, so. But I just thought it was funny. It is funny. I mean, yeah, we, we have the word of wisdom. We don't, uh, we try not to drink alcohol or, you know, take harmful substances and eat healthy foods, but, yeah, it is funny, the kind of perceptions that uh, <laughs> spread. <laughs> well, well, it was only because I was there that I got that impression. I just <laughs> right, yeah. I, I, I and it wasn't it, it wasn't a bad impression. It was just wait, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, back in uh, back in '97, I I attended classes at the Academy of Art University in San Francisco, and I had an uh, introduction to filmmaking class. And our, our instructor, you know, we learned a lot about the filmmaking techniques and cameras and lenses and all the different shots and how to compose things. And we, he split us up into groups, uh, small groups, and we each had our own camera equipment. And he sent us out into downtown San Francisco to film a short. And uh, we had to write, direct, film, do all of the spe special effects, everything within a few hours. And... Uh, as we went outside into the city, somebody was like, wait, you're from Utah? I said, yeah. They said, are you a Mormon? I said, yeah, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ. And they said, so tell me about, like, your temples. And they went into all these weird misconceptions that they'd heard about the church. And I spent that whole time, we're trying to film this little film in San Francisco. And the whole time I was just answering questions and dispelling rumors and things that my group had heard about the church. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know how we ended up getting our little film made, but we, we managed. <laughs> I I had a really uh, good friend when I was, I, I have a lot of friends that were Mormons and still do have good friends that are Mormon. And yeah, there's quite a few in California, I hear. Yeah. yeah. But um, I remember I was in, I think I was in college. And um, I met this uh, girl, and she was really nice. She said, I have dark hair and blue eyes. And she said, I look like Snow White. So that's why she sat next to me in class. <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> I go, okay. Um, <laughs> but she was really sweet. Yeah, you, can usually find, you can usually find uh, families that are members of the church in Disneyland. They, <laughs> we, we tend to like, uh, you know, Walt Disney and his... Uh, his stories and uh, well, his I, characters. I mean, I like Snow White, too. I just didn't necessarily 
think that I look like Snow White. Uh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I have the I have all my original VHS tapes of all the Disney, and I don't have kids. <laughs> Right. So I love Disney. So it's not a knock on Disney. It's just that I didn't think I looked like Snow White. Uh, right. Anyway, so we became good friends, and um, we exchanged Bibles. <laughs> it's kind of funny because I'm Jewish. So I gave her my Jewish Bible. She gave me her Mormon Bible. And then afterwards we talked about the differences and the things that were really similar. And it was really it was it was nice. It was fun because it, 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 no, but it, neither of us were being. There was no criticism. It was just interest. Yeah, uh, oh, that's and, awesome. So, do you do you use the Hebrew Bible then? I'm just curious. The Bible that we use is the uh, old. What you guys call the Old Testament. Just the Old Testament. That's right. Yeah. So we yeah we still use the uh, King James Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. So when you say she gave you a Mormon Bible, were you referring to the New Testament, or were you referring referring to the Book of Mormon? Book of Mormon. Okay. Yeah, because we, we believe just as much in the Old and New Testaments as the Book of Mormon. They go hand in hand in our religion. So. But it was just, it was kind of funny, and it was very interesting. And like I said, I have, I mean, um... I, I had colleagues in different places that were Mormon that I got. I get along really good with Mormon people. <laughs> I just do, because I'm really open. Yeah. Um, I like this. As long as nobody tries to make me change my religion and they're just open to talking, I'm happy. Hanukkah and stuff like that and 
it, it was fun. I mean, I love learning new stuff and, and hearing stuff. And uh, we would go to the church that we used for the High Holy Days for their Christmas service. We were invited for their Christmas services. And it was, so I learned all these different things, and I was a teenager. So that's why I'm really always been open. Did you have anything like that where you were, like, brought in so you could learn different religions so it would be uh, not necessarily in your uh, church, but like in school or something where you had comparative religion? Um, not not any sort of formal setting. Um, I've been to multi-faith, um, you know, firesides and things like that, but I would say mostly on my mission. Um, you know, we would just knock on people's doors wanting to talk about Christ, and uh, they would say, well, I'll come to your church if you'll come to mine, and we'd say, sure, that'd be great. <laughs> so we would, and we, yeah, we would learn as much as we could from other religions and find all the common ground, you know. I think we're, a lot of us, there's, there, we have more in common than uh, different, I think, so. Yeah, I know, and that's the problem. That's that's exactly why there's so many problems is people don't recognize that fact. Yeah, exactly. That everybody's human. That we're all part of the same family, and this, that everybody should get along because we are. Yeah, family. exactly. All from the family of Abraham, right? <laughs> well, I was more like thinking just the family of humanity. <laughs> I know. I was just making a joke okay. because you're Jewish. We're, we're we both. We both agree on Father Abraham <laughs> and the twelve tribes. Yeah, I wonder where I they think are. Ishmael, right? <laughs> the lost tribes of Israel. Um, yep. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the uh, people listening are going go what? <laughs> what does that mean? What, what's a lost tribe? What do they they lost tribes? What's that? I know that. I know that there are people who've never heard of it. <laughs> yeah. They've heard of Joseph and the, the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, though. Yeah, because it's a play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess if it's made into a play, then people know about it. Yeah, and a movie. I think they made a movie of it, too. Um, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's just like uh, people just discovered Hamilton. They didn't know that he was a, a – they never heard of Hamilton. They never noticed him on the money. They didn't know who he was. But now there's a musical. Everybody knows who Hamilton is. Yeah, right. I think it's <laughs> fascinating how you they don't know unless it's in modern culture. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just like, I mean, you know, something really modern like Princess Diana. People, there are people today who, uh, until. Um, uh, William and Harry talked about it in some interview. They suddenly found out that their mother was dead. They didn't had no idea. <laughs> they, oh, I yeah. mean, it's just strange to me because she was my generation. So I was like, how can you not be English and and from, or Great Britain or from the Commonwealth and not know who Diana was? She's only right. the she was only the mother of the future king. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess some people live under rocks or never turn on the news or YouTube or <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, and there's movies and there's books and there's all kinds of stuff about her. So it's just it's 
Yeah. Just I don't know. I th- it, it, it people have a um a little window, and my thing is I want to expand that window. I don't want to blow it up. I just want to make it a little bigger so they can see a little more. <laughs> gotcha. Don't you think that's it's a good goal? Worthy goal. Don't you think that'd be nice if people just would expand just a little bit? Oh yeah, yeah. There's definitely a need for uh, more understanding and empathy. Mhm. I I uh, um, speaking of movies and books and stuff. Um, are you a big reader and movie fan and all that? I am. I've always been fascinated with stories. I, um, For those that don't know who I am, I, I uh, write and illustrate books. Um, I'm probably more known as, as an artist than a writer, uh, but I have uh, written and or illustrated over 60 titles, and those include you know, comics, graphic novels, illustrated novels, children's books, and um, I mean, even like coloring books and things like that. So I do stuff for small children. I do stuff for adults. I'm currently doing a novelization of Hotel California, um, and I jump genres, which also kind of makes the marketing a little more difficult. But uh, but I enjoy fantasy, sci-fi, um, you know, westerns. I enjoy uh, you know thriller. I have a couple of thriller novels and. Um, horrors. So for me, it's not just a matter of do I enjoy books or movies. For me, it's more about story. So if, if something has a good story, I'm in. Mm-hmm. I don't really. The genre, uh, the format is sort of secondary. Um, I'm all about good storytelling. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's why I like mythology. It's that storytelling. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Greek myths, Roman myths, the Scandinavian myths. People don't yeah. realize how much that's mixed into modern culture. It's it it, it, it it's still with us. All that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and it's kind of like people ask me like, what's your favorite type of music? And I say I like music that has a good melody. <laughs> you know, I don't care if it's classical. I don't care if it's uh, rap, R&B, pop, whatever. If it has a good melody, I'm in. <laughs> so it's kind of like if it has a good melody and a good story, and those two go together, even better. <laughs> That's true. And you got a Hotel California running through my head. Uh, <laughs> Very good. Because <laughs> I, I, I'm one of those people. Somebody says something, and it's like I, I can hear the music in my head. I'm going, oh no, it's yeah. never going to go away until I hear something else. Yeah. <laughs> check out any time you like, but you can never leave. Yeah. <laughs> well, just uh, um, somebody was uh, came back to um, Instagram and they had all these uh, notes saying, welcome back, and all I could think was, welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. From welcome back, <laughs> Mr. Cotter. I just, uh, that shows you my age. Uh, <laughs> but, but as as I'm reading it, all it's all of a sudden I'm just da da da. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Music has a way of uh, attaching itself to our recall. You know, anything that triggers it will bring it right back. Yeah, 
Yeah, there's this TV series called Miranda, and anything that anybody says that reminds her of a song, she breaks into singing. I just love that. Yeah, that's that my grandma. My grandma was that way. I can relate to that. Yeah. I, I just, I yeah. love it. Um, the, she, she, she'll sing, uh, uh, somebody will say something, and she'll sing some Beyonce back at them, because it was, the words were in the Beyonce song. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, that's funny. I know. I love that show, um, but it's it's a British sitcom. I love. I, I'm, yeah. I, I'm a big Britcom person. <laughs> yeah, my parents were big into that. I remember watching all those British sitcoms as a kid. I couldn't tell you what they were called or anything about them, but I do remember. And I remember they were good. I, I remember even just being a kid, and I could I could even tell, you know, the stories, the episodes that were good, and the ones that were not so good. Mm-hmm. Even at the uh, earliest age, it's funny. I I here in uh, in California, I was raised in L.A., and so we had like three different PBS stations, and um, one of our PBS stations on Saturday, every Saturday night, would have a, a like a block. Of um, of Britcoms, and I would watch it. And if if I was gonna miss it, my mom would record them all. <laughs> nice. And when I I moved to Chicago for a little while, she was mis- uh, email not emailing mailing me um, VHS tape so I could be uh, still watch the shows I wanted. To see. Awesome. <laughs> Um. Uh. Do you? So you don't have a a favorite genre or anything. You just like anything that tickles your fancy. Yeah, I mean, I I do tend to gravitate toward uh, sci-fi and fantasy, and I and I think it's because I'm bored. I'm I'm a little bored with um, the here and now, the day to day. Um, realities that we face, and I, I do tend to like that sort of escapism that you find in fantasy and sci-fi, and also the bounds of reality are stretched, so your storytelling can include a lot more kind of otherworldly um, abilities, otherworldly settings, otherworldly um, characterizations, so I do tend to gravitate toward fantasy and sci-fi, but I do have projects that reside within thriller and um you know westerns and horrors and that sort of thing as well but um yeah i I would say fantasy is probably my number one wheelhouse and a close second would be sci-fi so are you do you read classics or do you just read the modern of the sci-fi and fantasy both um yeah i like the classics i like um you know the count of monte cristo and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and Treasure Island and, you know, that sort of thing. I'm, I'm, I'm into the uh, the romantic stories, the adventures, and, yeah. Yeah, I, I also always thought that Vernon Wells were the most fun people, uh, books to read, people to read, uh, books to read. Um, I, I liked um, – 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. I liked uh, Around the World in 80 Days. I liked The Time Machine. There's uh, One of the things that shocked me was when I got, I I saw the first, I, I saw the movie The Time Machine first, which I loved. It was with Rod Taylor, who I had a huge crush on, still do. 
Um, anyway, so when I got the book, it was a really nice hard uh, cover uh, edition that I bought at a used bookstore. I it's thin. It's really it's like a, more of a novella than a novel. It's really short. Have you ever right. read The Time Machine? Is it, it did it shock you how short it was because it was it's such a whole story and a big huge concept and all the stuff in it, and it's like oh yeah, some of those yeah. I mean even like Han Christian Andersen's Little Mermaid or the Snow uh, the Snow Queen, you know, um, some of them are pretty short. Yeah, those are short and stories. <laughs> even the classics. Uh, I mean, I would consider classics what probably most people wouldn't, but. A series that really hit me as a kid was the the Chronicles of Prydane, um, the Book of Three, the Black Cauldron, the Castle of Lear, uh, Terran Wanderer, the High King. Those those books, I mean, they're basically children's books. They're a lot like The Hobbit or you know some other uh, more popular, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis's um, series. But uh, yeah, the Prydane Chronicles loved it. Th- those things. Yeah, those books changed my life. <laughs> uh, I read those and just knew that I had to go into this field. So is that that's what inspired you that that series. Yeah, I mean that, among other things. Um, I remember going to the library one day in uh, Logan, Utah, and I found this book called Michael Whalen's Works of Wonder, and it was uh, basically just an art portfolio collection book from Michael Whalen. He did a lot of the covers for Anne McCaffrey and the Dragon Riders of Pern and um, some Isaac Asimov uh, book covers he had done. And It was just a collection of his artworks. And so, I mean, in combination with great storytelling, great films from my childhood, um, you know, I always loved Legend and, and uh, Top Gun and, you know, those, those sorts of films. And I thought, man, this is what I want to do. You know, I want to make amazing artwork and create these amazing worlds, you know. It always drew me in. I loved Isaac Asimov. He was such a wonderful writer. He's one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the, what do, uh... The Foundation series? Yeah, Android, yeah, Android's Dream of Electric Sheep or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Foundation, I think, was one of the covers that Waylon illustrated as well. My, um, that's so interesting because my mom, for their 50th anniversary, got my dad a first edition of one of the foundation books. Um, actually, I got it for my mom and gave it to her to give to my dad. (laughs) I used, I was, there's a used bookstore that was wonderful that was near us when we were living in L.A. Uh, unfortunately, the man retired and his family wasn't interested in carry on, so it's gone. Um, but it was like one of the best used bookstores. It was like Wonderland. You know, you would go in there and you could find any book on any subject. It was it was one of those wonderful bookstores where it was like a mass of books. You, and 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 the guy who ran it knew where everything was. So you're like, uh, do you have any books on this? And he goes, oh sure, come over here. And he would say, here you go. <laughs> and he, it would be piles of books to go through. I mean, to me, that's heaven. <laughs> right. Yeah, and that's that's awesome. And and I'm glad we're we're putting this plug for reading and for the classics and books. I feel. 
feel like our world, you know, as an author, it's been kind of frustrating to watch um, how things are going because it, it's it's never been easier to be published, but it's never been harder to be read. Yes, absolutely. Because, and the the problem is supply and demand. Um, you know, the supply of books continues to go up. It's you know millions and millions of new books are published every year, and it's always been that way. Um, but now, I mean, the demand has never really changed. You know, in fact, if anything, the demand for reading books is probably going down because of all the other entertainment options that we have. You know, people binge watch, you know, Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and Disney Plus, and uh, we're, we have all of these options to suck up all of our free time. That, and, it's, and it's sometimes easier to sit yourself down in front of the television than it is to open a good book and read and have to use your imagination and have to actually do the work of reading words on a page. <laughs> so I think it's a little sad that I, I feel like the younger generations don't embrace books uh, possibly the same way that my generation or the generations before kind of did, you know, be, just because we have so many more other options available. I sort of was... When I was still working in an office, I considered myself a, a book converter um, because all the kids that I was in my 40s in one of these offices, and all these kids in their tw early 20s and like uh, some people were in their early 30s, and none of them read. So what yeah. I, I would do is I would I was friendly with these people. I knew what they liked. So when it came to the holidays, I gave them books, but the books were about what they liked. Like if you, the one guy was a baseball fan, so I gave him, um, oh, what's the name of that book? Um, James Conn was in the movie. It was about, uh, um, and uh, I can't remember the brilliant actor who was with him. Ugh. Brian's song. That was it. So I gave him Brian's song. Oh, yeah. Okay. It was about football, yeah. but it was yeah. sports. And he loved it. And stuff like yeah. that. And then another girl, she was like, she was um, one of those people who liked to, um, like, matchmake people and sort of manipulate uh, people to do stuff because she thought it would work for them and stuff. So I gave her <laughs> Emma. She probably okay, didn't. <laughs> I she probably didn't get it, but Emma was perfect for her because that's what Emma did. She manipulated people, and she got she got her lesson at the end. But um, but I don't think she I, she loved the book, but she I don't think she really yeah. realized that I gave it to her because Emma was just like her. Is, uh, is Emma Jean, Jane Austen? That... Yeah, Jane Austen. Okay. Emma. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. Yeah, as as um, Jane Austen called her, my poor Emma. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. But yeah, oh, and I'm I'm kind of strange. Uh, if I like an author, I read everything about the author, so I know a lot about Jane Austen and Agatha Christie. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And Scott Fitzgerald. Uh, <laughs> any author I know, I write, read all the biographies about them. I'm just curious. Are you a Julian Fellows fan, the uh, Downton Abbey and yeah. that sort of? Oh thing? yeah, I like. I I have. I I I I only seen. 
I haven't been able to see the entire new series that he has here uh, that he um, he that he did, but uh, I I watched the first uh, uh, half of it, and I'm gonna probably watch the next half when I have some free time. But yeah, I like his stuff. I always I and I love I love Downton Abbey. I how can you yeah. not love Downton Abbey? <laughs> Yeah, did you, did you did you see Poldark by chance? No, and one of the actors in it is from Midsummer Murders. I really need to see that show. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one of my favorites from that era. You you should see Poldark. It, it, any of li- the listeners out there, uh, if you haven't seen Poldark, you should check it out. That's awesome. Oh, when we were in the green room and I was telling you about. Um, about the mystery that uh, was done by uh, an American, but all the British. Uh, Julian wrote that Gosford Park. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah, that was what that was one of his yeah, first big, huge breakthroughs was uh, Gosford Park. Okay. Um, it, well, when you have Maggie Smith interpreting your words, it's kind of it makes I everything. Mean, yeah. yeah. And she was in Gosford Park as well as Downton, so yeah, it was a big deal. (laughs) Yeah, I think she's probably one of the greatest things about the Harry Harry Potter films. (laughs) Yeah, I um I love uh, her and Harry. I um Professor McConaughey. Yeah. My favorite line from her, and I know that younger people didn't get it. There's this part where she makes the statues come to life. And she says, I've always wanted to use that spell. There's this old <laughs> Disney movie called Bedknobs and Broomsticks. And this, oh, yeah. and, I, and I thought, oh, they're doing a nod to Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Oh, homage. Yeah, that's great. That's right. <laughs> yeah, because I actually recent, um, we recently uh, acquired Disney as part of our streaming service. And I've been okay. watching all the childhood movies that I you know I don't get to watch. I didn't get to watch because Disney didn't didn't show it anywhere you know, except on Disney. So now right. I'm catching up. I mean, I I watched Mary Poppins. I watched Beauty and the Beast. I watched um, Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Right. <laughs> I'm a dweeb. <laughs> no, that's great. But I always. Uh, you know, somebody asked me one time, um, you know, if money was no object, you could just do whatever you wanted, you know, what would you want to do? Who would you want to be? And I thought, you know what? I would love to be Walt Disney. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to just create stories, create films, and build a couple of theme parks. I would just love to do that. <laughs> uh, that's funny. And, uh, yeah, so that's a lot of my books. Are, I kind of just indulge that fantasy. I just, I just try to imagine, you know, I, you know, money. Let's just take money out of the equation. Like, what makes me happy? What am I gonna do? You know, and I actually did that. I, I actually, um, over the years, I've started a few different companies. Um, one of those companies is Draw It With Me, so I, I help teach kids how to draw. I have Epic Edge Publishing, which I publish my books through. Um, those that are with, you know, American Girl or Arcana Studios. Um, and then I also had a, a started a company called Bright, uh, which we made uh, a few business partners, and I made uh, craft kits for kids. And um, I, it's only about four or five years old, and uh, last year we just did really well with COVID. We did really well, a lot of kids at home, you know, needing things to do. 
and we sold millions and millions of these these kids craft kits. You know, it was it was fairy gardens and terrariums and rock tumblers and you know diamond painting kits, rock painting kits, that sort of thing. And uh, last spring, we actually had a company that came in and wanted to buy us um, by our company. And uh, I, I wanted to wait a little while before we sold, but uh, my partners wanted to sell. So I said, well, okay, it was a good contract and it was a good price. And so we sold Bright products uh, last May and uh, got a huge payout and the payout's over a few years. And so what's nice about that is now I kind of can take money out of the equation. And so, you know, stepping back and looking at my body of work, the books that I've written, everything I've illustrated, the artwork that I'm doing is not dictated now by money, which is actually really liberating. I can kind of just sit down and say, what do I want to do? What do I want to work on? You know, not, not necessarily what do I have to work on to pay the bills. And, uh, and it's, it's interesting when you take money out of the equation, you really start to dig down and find what your real passions are. And so if there are any writers or artists out there, uh, try to think of it in terms of, uh, I, I know, you know, there's something to be said for being able to pay the bills for sure. Um, but it is kind of free, freeing to <laughs> look at it and what, what, how do you want to spend your time? Because when it comes down to it, the thing of most value in our lives is time, you know, and you can focus that time on a lot of different things, so. I understand that. I mean, I think it's really interesting that you want to be Disney. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kind of, I think I want to be a mix between Walt Disney and Tom Cruise, because <laughs> he gets to make his own movies and he gets to do his own stunts, <laughs> so find some uh, middle ground between there, and uh, that, that's where I rest, I think. <laughs> well, I don't know. I've never heard him being interviewed about it, but I've heard other people who did their own stunts, like Harrison Ford and Pierce Brunson. It's not all that much fun. You get hurt a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would enjoy it, injuries <laughs> and all. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, Pierce... Uh, in, as James Bond, there was one scene where he got, I mean, they didn't show it, of course, but they, he got really hurt, uh, it was in, um, what do they call it, um, hockey, it was in a hockey stadium, and he got beat up in there, and he was beating up the bad guy, anyway, he got knocked into the net, and he almost cracked, yeah, I think he cracked a rib. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, man. That's one thing about those Bond movies. There's not one Bond actor who hasn't had a pretty serious injury. Yeah, yeah, I, I believe that. But I do still love those Bond films. Oh, me too. <laughs> I grew, I've watched them since I was a little girl. The thing that annoyed me was um, there was a station. It was a national station. I can't remember what it was called. But uh, they said that only men can watch Bond on this station. And I said, well, that's not fair. I got really upset. I've, I've watched Bond longer than you've been a station. <laughs> well, you know, earlier in the green room, you brought up this, uh, this film that you had seen as when you were pretty young, I think you said, and you watched it with your brother, and then years later that film still resonates with you but your brother had completely 
forgotten about it, right? Oh, it was actually a TV series. Yeah, it was called ISIS. What oh, series? Yeah, what, which series was that? ISIS. ISIS, that's right. And you know what I thought of when you told me that was, I think we tend, like the, the films and the stories that tend to stick with us are the ones where we can relate to the protagonist. Mm -hmm. um, my little sister, you know, her favorite movies were, you know, were always, you know, Frozen and all, you know, all those types of films. And for me, it's always been, you know, Bond, Jason Bourne, um, you know, those kind of shoot 'em up, you know, action epic thrillers. And I, I stepped back and I realized, you know, the films that resonate with me, I actually can relate to the protagonist of those films. You know, I, th I feel like I'm Sam Neill on Jurassic Park or I'm Neo on The Matrix. And those are the films that really speak to me, you know. And uh, But for you, maybe you're ISIS. <laughs> hey, I, I wouldn't mind. <laughs> she was a goddess, so I don't mind it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How am I? That's an important thing to realize, too, when you're writing a story or when you're illustrating a story is to think about your audience. You know, who, who is your audience going to be? And, and you, when you write a protagonist, you know, chances are your greatest readership are going to share a lot of those attributes mm -hmm. or, that, or that same demographic, you know. Yeah, it's interesting because I've always – I've never actually I, – I don't personally think I fit in any box because I have such a wide – like I said, I love Bond movies and I like Disney movies. I like I like murder mysteries and I like science fiction. I don't have a Oh, so do thing. I. What I'm saying is your favorites. I'm talking about your, you know, your top 10 lists and that sort of thing. It's me. But uh, <laughs> so, you know, somebody somebody was telling me, "Do you know why Titanic was so successful?" Think about think about um so there's there's you have okay, your main characters are male and female. Your uh, your supporting characters are just about every age you can think of. You know who was on the Titanic? Well, there were there were young kids, there were middle aged people, there were older people. Um, was it just Americans on the Titanic? No. no. You had <laughs> just about every European country represented, and Americans. You know, so it, you had every ethnicity, you had every age group, and you had, you know, both genders. You know, you basically had the entire world represented in that film. And rich and, and poor. Don't forget rich and poor. Rich and poor, <laughs> yep, the classes. Yep, you had every class represented. Yeah, so people are like, why was that film so successful? Because everybody and their dog could relate to that film. <laughs> we all felt like we could have been on that Titanic as it was sinking, you know. That's why I think it was it resonates so much with people when that movie came out. Um, it wasn't it wasn't the first movie about Titanic. There wasn't uh, several others. What, the other big one was in the fifties, uh, but yeah, our generation it was it was new to them. I mean, it wasn't. I everybody knew about Titanic, of course. But uh, the actual going through the feelings and what was going on, I call it like, it's sort of like Camelot. There's the uh, happy part and there's the sad part. Um, uh, and that's what, uh, that's what Titanic was. There was a happy part at the beginning 
where they found each other and they were chasing each other all over the ship and the, all the fun parts that you get to see in it. And then there's a sad part, of course, when, of course, everybody died. Well, not everybody, but a great many of them died. Um, I hope I'm not giving anybody a spoiler that doesn't know about the hammock. <laughs> <laughs> not everybody, right? The, the unthinkable Molly Brown. Oh. You know, well, and all that stuff all that stuff I said about Titanic, you can also apply to a lot of the highest grossing films of all time. Mm -hmm. Think about Harry, think about Harry Potter mm -hmm. and all the different demographics that are represented in Harry Potter in the Harry Potter books. Um, think about Avatar, same thing. You know, James Cameron's Avatar. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, all of the biggest genres, they kind of represent a lot of demographics, and so they, their audience, they, they're able to scoop up a big audience, is what I'm saying. Yeah, and because and, it's also, there's a romance to all those things. There is. Yeah. Even Harry Potter has romance. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, and, and the universal language of love, yeah, that's a huge draw, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, yeah. it doesn't really... You all have, those films share that in common as well, don't they? Yeah, all of them. Yeah. All of them have that. There's always, there has to be, you have to have a heart to any yeah. movie. If you don't have a heart, if you don't have something that touches people's hearts, that touches their souls, the movie's going to be, it may, it may do well, but it's not going to be, it's not going to be a big hit. Amen. I mean, even even something like one of my other favorite films is The Shawshank Redemption, and you you might not have a romantic love story in Shawshank, but you do have that really touching friendship between um, the two main characters, right? Mm -hmm. Morgan Freeman and Tim Robbins' characters. Right. Love and, is uh, love. That it doesn't matter. That friendship carries that film, you know, on wings just as powerful as the love stories from the other films we talked about. Love is love. It doesn't really matter. Look at all the buddy films from the 70s, like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Right, yeah, or the, the friendship between Sam and Frodo, right? Right. I mean, it's just, it, 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 or uh, Thelma and Louise, you know, two ladies. Yeah. Know? It doesn't really right. matter. It doesn't matter if it, there's an actual romance there. It's the love. The human element, mm -hmm. yeah. Right, the love. Um, they were talking on, uh, I think it was uh, Lucy Lawless and Renee O'Connor about Xena. And the thing that they always asked when they were uh, uh, doing the script reading is, where's the love in the in the show, in this episode? It wasn't about the fighting. It was about the human emotion and relationships. That's why it was yeah, such a good show. Yeah, why they're fighting, right? Right. What What are you fighting for? You're fighting to save these innocent people from some people who want to kill them. You, and it's for yeah. the love of the people that you're trying to save. Yeah. I mean, that's what it's about. Yeah, that's what drives the story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not the what, it's the why. And, yeah, I, I get so frustrated when I'll go see some big, high-budget blockbuster, and it's got this huge budget, amazing, eye-popping special effects, and no story, and no humanity. And I always walk away from those films just thinking, man, what a waste. Mm -hmm. Why would they, they greenlight 
a budget and special effects like that on such a crappy script. <laughs> you know why? It, you know, there, that, there are so many good stories out there. It makes you feel empty. That's why. You watch, yeah. you've, you've given them two hours, and they haven't given you any feeding to your soul. And that's yeah, why exactly. you're just like, why am I here? Why am I doing this? You know, yeah. why am I wasting my time? Yeah. I I actually went on a date to a movie with a guy who the, I, everybody was enjoying the movie but me. I thought it was terrible. So basically, I was going to the snack bar to get hot dogs, popcorn, anything to get out of the theater. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I think we've all been to movies like that. <laughs> it's really sad. It is. It's just I was, uh, and it, it, like I said, you feel empty. You don't. You don't. You you feel like you you've invested your time and you didn't get anything back for your heart and your soul. And if you don't get anything back for your heart and soul, why are you there? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I recently was at a conference in Hollywood, and uh, the president of Bain Books was there, and she was talking to a bunch of writers. Uh, and illustrators, and uh, as I was listening to her, I was actually kind of surprised that she said this, but she said, um, she said, I'm looking, so we get, we get the slosh pile, right? We have to, you know, <laughs> we have to sift through all the stuff that comes in, but she said, I'm really looking for stories that aren't quite so dark and dreary, and, you know, we're sort of bombarded right now with stories of anti-heroes and just really dark and gritty and, you know, mature-type material. Um, and she said, I'm kind of sick of all that. I'm looking for stories that actually send a good message, you know, like give hope for humanity. Like, where, what happened to all the heroes and the, good, the feel-good stuff, right? The comedy and the uplifting stories. And, and I thought, wow, I'm, I'm glad she said that. Because I, I sort of, deep down, I feel the same way. Um, you know, even when you turn on the streamers, it's like, man, can I find something that's not, you know, mature or about the devil or, you know, just full of cuss words that I have to make sure my kids aren't in the room. And you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, what happened to all those just uplifting, epic stories from the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s? <laughs> I, I mean, one of the things I really relish uh, about the original Star Trek was that it was positive. There was yeah. not one n negative episode of that show. There, there were some clinkers of the show. I'm not talking about a good show and a bad show. I mean, it was always a positive thing. The world, that there's hope, there's something... The closest I can come to with the new series to that would be Star Trek The New World, the new one, that Strange New World. That was like Star Trek. That was the Star Trek I grew up with, the new one. Yeah. It, it's really good. Okay. I, I recommend it if you haven't seen it. Uh, okay. Because it's very positive. It, um, it doesn't shy away from the negative stuff in the world, but what they do is they do it and say, well, look, you could have this, it's your choice, but if you actually come with us, you actually will have a better life. You know, trying to push them toward the positive. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, it's a very... Um, and, and don't get me wrong, I, I like the occasional horror story and, and dark, 
you know, <laughs> dark themed story. But yeah, I'm just saying overall, like what happened to the uh, the Indiana Jones series? Oh God, I love that. You know that sort of thing. But yeah, I'm a huge fan of that. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> and uh, I uh, Harrison Ford finished shooting it, and he was at. I saw. I didn't go. I watched it on um, YouTube, but he had an, um, a panel where he was talking about the new movie, and he says, "This is the last one, so enjoy it. I'm not going to get hurt for you people anymore." <laughs> oh, is that the uh, is that the meeting where he got emotional there at the end? Yes. Oh yeah, I saw that. I saw that clip. Yeah. Yeah, that was great. That was beautiful. I just love him. Yeah. That was Yeah, a, he isn't he great? He's he's one of my favorites. I yeah. I w I watch if Harrison Ford is in it, I I practically see anything even if it's something I'm not usually going to watch. Yeah. Uh, he's right. one of those guys. He uh yeah. Cause and and sometimes you find a movie that he was in that you didn't know he was. I remember when Working Girl came out, they kind of concentrated on Melanie Griffith and Sigourney Weaver. I didn't even know he was in the movie until I was yeah. at the movie and I saw him. I oh, Harrison Ford. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I know. Um, but yeah, I I like him a lot. Um, I'm going to change the topic just a little bit. Um. I wanted to know how you, I, I mean, we've been talking about your career and stuff, but how did you get into uh, Illustrators of the Future? Yeah, what's what's funny, I mentioned I served a mission for my church uh, in Florida. in So I was there for two years from 1999 to 2001. And uh, I believe I had a friend that wrote and kind of mentioned the contest. I had never heard of it before. Uh, I think this was the year 2000, um, and they said, hey, you should enter this fantasy contest, and uh, I kind of looked it up, and we're, we were pretty limited, so as far as my schedule, what was funny is, so when you're a missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you're working from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day. You don't even get Sundays off. So Sundays, in fact, are your busiest day talking to people. And so, and you wake up at 6 a.m. every morning and lights out by 10. So, you know, for an artist, like, I'm, I'm the type of person that I always have to be drawing. Um, always have to be drawing dragons and warriors. I was big into Conan and Tarzan and uh, all those types of things. And uh, when you're a missionary, you don't have time because you're just out preaching the gospel, right? And talking about the scriptures and Christ. And so... There is one hour of every day that was mine. So every morning we would wake up at 6, and we would have companionship study for an hour. So we'd study the scriptures together for an hour, and then we'd have personal study for an hour. And so during that one hour every morning from 7 to 8 a.m., that was my hour. And so I, I had my parents just send me the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Book of Mormon on tape. And I would just listen to the scriptures and draw. And so every day for two years, I listened to the scriptures. So I listened to the Bible and the Book of Mormon like a dozen times. And I got a lot of drawing done <laughs> because it was every day for an hour. And so um, the drawings that I actually entered in the Illustrators of the Future contest were drawings that I did on my mission listening to the scriptures. <laughs> 
And so I, I just did a series of uh, basically beautiful women in elegant dresses and some kind of a dragon or a monster around her. Uh, so I, I, it was like an early start to my Maidens and Monsters series. <laughs> I mean, that's so, funny. That's, and you were listening to the Bible and you were, were drawing I dragons. To, I just think that's I was. Hilarious. I was drawing dragons and beautiful women and listening to the scriptures. And, and nothing's changed. I still do that today. So um, anyway, uh, I had I think I think back then they accepted three uh, illustrations for entry into the illustrators of the future, and so I, I you know picked out my best three and I sent those in, and I didn't really think much about it at that point. What was cool is later on I found out that uh, Frank Frazetta, who is you know like the king of fantasy illustration, uh, he's, he passed away. Uh, a few years ago, um, but he is, I think he is pretty much worldwide considered the master of fantasy art. Um, he's sort of the king. And uh, what's cool is uh, the L. Ron Hubbard Illustrators of the Future contest had him as a judge on the panel. And so it's cool that Frank had his eyes on my art, you know, the year that I won. Um, and so I was, yeah, quarterly winner. They, they fly you out to, um, to Hollywood for a week-long workshop, and uh, you work with professionals. They teach you more about the business and uh, the craft of illustration. And, uh, yeah, and, and then at the end of the week, there's basically an Academy Awards-type meeting for writers and illustrators. And uh, they have short stories that they have you illustrate from the winning writers, and uh, they pay you. It's a working gig, and uh, yeah, it's very professional and it's very immersive. And uh, it was a good start. So as soon as I got home from my mission, I was able to fly out to Hollywood for the workshop and the award ceremony. And uh, while I was out there, they had uh, Sean Astin was one of the presenters of the awards for the winning illustrators. And uh, at the time, so this would have been, I guess, 2002. Uh, I think Two Towers had come out, Fellowship of the Ring, Two Towers, but Return of the King had not yet been released. And so Sean was there at the award ceremony to give out our awards to us. And then afterwards, they had a big rele uh, book release party and a signing party. So we were all up there signing books for the crowd. And I strategically placed myself next to Sean Aspen so we could chat for a couple of hours. And uh, so, so I was signing my illustrations in the book, and Sean Aston was signing the books, and everybody and their dog was asking about uh, Lord of the Rings. And, of course, you know, he was kind and polite, and he answered all the questions. But I thought, he's probably getting really tired of answering Lord of the Rings questions. I mean, he hasn't even seen Return of the King yet, and everybody was asking him about that. And he's like, I don't know, I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> And so I started asking him about his family, and uh, he, he lit up. And he had just, like two weeks previous, he had just had his second daughter. His second daughter was born just a couple of weeks previous to this. And I, so I started asking him about that. And he, man, he talked to me. like He, he like, talked my ear off. He was so excited to leave that uh, event to go home and change some diapers, you know. <laughs> and, uh so it was, it was just really cool, you know, it's a great experience. Um, back then we were submitting black and white illustrations, uh, but now it's all color and digital. 
Um, not not all digital, but it, it is printed in color uh, now. So the, the contest has changed just a little bit, but it's still free to enter every quarter. And uh, it's just an awesome you know opportunity for up-and-coming artists to get their stuff out there, have a professional working experience, and then also to be recognized you know for all the work and the hours in practice. So what book are you in? Brian, what book are you in? I'm in volume 18. Uh, so Writers of the Future, volume 18. I believe that the release date was 2002. And then I also uh, have an illustration. I illustrated one of uh, L. Ron Hubbard's short stories uh, in volume. I believe it's volume 30. Um yeah, and then like I said, they've they've flown me out there a couple of times to help out with the workshop and um, to be involved in a few other ways too. But um, yeah, anyway, it's, it's a great experience. And uh, and the the same year that I entered, sometimes they have more stories than they have winning illustrators. And so they they actually I illustrated one of the short stories that actually was the grand prize winner on the writer's side uh, as well. And then they said, hey, we have this other short story we need art for. And they hired me to actually do two illustrations for that volume. So I also illustrated uh, Nettie, a Korofor's story. And she's since become a you know best-selling author as well. She's awesome. Um, her story, uh, Wind Seekers, I think, was the second uh, story that I illustrated for that one. That's so. cool. Um, we're coming to the end. Uh, do you have a website, Brian? Yeah, so my art and the books can be found on just my last name, HalesArt.com. It's H-A-I-L-E-S-A-R-T.com. And I also have uh, an Instagram page. It's it's that, uh, you know, teaching kids how to draw. It's Draw It With Me Official on Instagram. So you can find me there. And, uh, of course, I've got an author page on Amazon that has all my books and things. So you can just type in Brian Hales uh, on Amazon. That should pop up. Are you on Twitter or Facebook? Uh, yeah, Facebook, uh, BC Hales or Hales Art. Uh, BC Hales is my personal page. Hales Art is, uh, has more of my uh, my books and illustrations. Okay. Yeah, they can find me at either of those places. And I've also got an art station page under BC Hales. Okay, that's great. Um, I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy day to come on my show. I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Anytime. Thank you. Great chatting with you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And thank you for chatting with Sherry. All right. Thanks. <laughs>